You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. All the girls are complicated. Everyone is precious too, and you might get lucky if you do. Oh, you might get lucky if you do. Find the one that makes you laugh. Find the one that takes your breath where you won't get everything that you want. Oh, but you'll need one to don't Hello, and welcome to episode 135 of the Christian Feminist Podcast. I'm Ilea Danner-Grubbs, and with me today are Christina Bieber-Lake and Sarah Kluster. Hi, ladies. Hello. Afternoon. Let's introduce ourselves for any listeners that are new to the program. Sarah, would you go first? Hi, my name is Sarah Kluster. I am a former librarian and current uh, child welfare worker living in West Texas, and I was very excited for this. Uh, podcast because I like to consider myself an expert on friendship because I'm a pretty awesome friend. Um, That's (laughs) fantastic. (laughs) I I want to hear more about that. Christina, what about you? Oh, I am also very happy to be on this program because I love my female friends very much. Uh, I teach English here at Wheaton, uh, Wheaton College, and we were just discussing it's super cold today in this November day, very blustery. I'm married to an Anglican priest. We have one son. And, uh, yeah, glad to be on the show. Great. And I'm Ilea Danner-Grubbs. I live in Trusto, Alabama with my husband, Brian, and our two young children. Um, I got my degree from Wheaton College in elementary education with an emphasis in Bible and French. And I taught in the classroom for six years, but now I homeschool my kids. And I teach Bible studies uh, whenever I can. Right now with COVID, that's a little bit less than usual, but... Um, but so today we are going to be um, talking about modern female friendships, and specifically we're going to be talking about the, the book Text Me When You Get Home by Kayleen Schaefer. Um, and before we get into the actual book, I wanted to get a little bit of background on this topic. Um, I found that most women have very strong opinions about the idea of female friendship one way or the other. Um, so I wanted to talk about that in our own lives first. Um, and I'll start. Um, I grew up being taught um, by my mom and by other women, especially women at church, interestingly, that girls were catty and girls were mean and that uh, guys were much easier to be friends with. And so for most of my childhood and on into my teen years, um, most of my friends were guys. And I would have one or two girlfriends, um, but I always had a lot more guy friends. Um, I had one girlfriend in middle school and high school who was just absolutely the best friend that you could ask for. Um, we were even rivals, like in band and in academics, but it didn't matter because she was just the most amazing friend. And um, we're still friends today. Um, but most of the group that the two of us hang- hung out with was like six or seven guys that, that we were all kind of in a group with. Um, and when I got to college... I met the girls who would be my roommates for the next four years, and that was really a turning point for me in my friendships. They really taught me a lot about the importance of female friendships and really the importance of embracing um, your own femininity um, in a way that I had kind of always been prejudiced against for a long time. Um, and they're still two of my very best friends to this day. Um, and now I have, you know, some close female friends. Um, I've always kind of been somebody that has just a few friends in general versus a lot of friends. 
Um, but one of the places that I see this idea of these modern female friendships um, playing out in real life in my life today is this group of young ladies that kind of grew out of this college and career Bible study that my husband and I used to teach. And um, there's about eight or nine of them. They're all in their early 20s now. Um, they call themselves the best squad TM. Trademark. Um, but they're just incredible to watch. They're so supportive and encouraging and loving. Um, they hype each other up. They pray for each other. They talk about their mental health issues. They discuss books and politics. They send memes. Like, the, they are the ultimate example of this modern, healthy female friendship. And, and they, you know, we, we celebrate Valentine's Day together. They have a group chat that goes on every day that they're just constantly talking to each other. Um, and I'm a little bit older than them, so I'm the squad mom delegated. <laughs> but, but I think all the time, like, how life-changing and how incredibly important, you know, this kind of friendship is. And that was really struck home to me, too, um, with the pandemic. Um, my, my roommates from college and I, two of us, the three of us all live in different states. And... Um, when the pandemic hit, we went from talking, you know, every couple of weeks or, you know, once or twice a month to talking almost every day. And we started a Marco Polo chat and we got, you know, back on our group thread more often. And it's just been really interesting that, like, when there was this big crisis and we were all three going through this, you know, big event, we instinctively just all knew we needed each other. And to me, like, reading this book again, it really um, – that stood out to me as kind of – the, the the female friendship, you know, living it out in real life. Um, and anyway, I could keep talking about this all day, but I'm interested to hear your stories too. Um, Christina, what about you? You said that you, you really love talking about female friendships. What do, what's your story? I do because I, when I'm reflecting on this, I realize that probably the thing I most enjoy about my life even today is my female friendships and probably through my whole life it's what I most enjoy about it. You know, mm which is a really interesting thing to suddenly think. Like I never really thought it in those terms. I always knew they were really important to me, but was reading this book, I realized, you know, that is the thing that gives me probably the most joy in, in my life. And, but it's always been important. I can't remember a time when my friends were not important to me in part because I really wasn't interested in men growing up. Like I just had no desire to get married. And, um, but I definitely knew I needed friends. Um, I was a tomboy, so I had, guy friends first, kind of like what you were talking about, and then later just a lot of very close female friends. And the two most shaping friendships, both of them happen to be named Kristen, spelled the same way. So it's kind of funny. Uh, one high school friend a year ahead of me, uh, who is still a good friend of mine, we've had remarkably similar careers. We both teach college English now, which is just kind of a weird thing also. And it then is. That's other so Kristen funny. Friends. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Uh, and we all both have one son. We both got married late uh, in life. Um, weird uh, parallel lives. And then my other Kristen friend I met in college, and uh, we have been close ever since. And she lives at, out in L.A., and I always go there for spring break uh, now that I'm teaching here in this horribly cold place. So these friendships have been formative to me. And now I just can't imagine what I would do without my writing group, which is three other women, four of us, we are um, a group that does everything together um, when we can. We we have 10 children between us, so, but I, we text all the time, and when you were talking about the pandemic, I realized that, yeah, we texted more um, because of that, um, in part because we can't get together as much as we normally would. We all teach at Wheaton, um, so very significant in my life. Just can't imagine it without these women. That's so cool. I have the biggest smile right now because it's just so fun to hear those stories. Sarah, what about you? 
So I think, I mean, I had friendships are obviously incredibly important to me as they are for everyone. But the first female friendships that I actually remember, um, I obviously had friends as a kid. Um, I was a really kind of awkward kid that morphed into an awkward adult uh, or an awkward teen into a semi-normal-ish adult eventually after lots of kind of sandpapering, smoothing, smoothing <laughs> off some of those rough edges. But the first female friendships I actually recognize are the ones my mom had. And huh. so to me, you know, I, I remember being four, five, six years old and my mom having all of her friends come over or us going over to, to their homes and that a lot of my initial uh, relationships that I knew of in my life were all through my mother's friendships. And so good friends that I have to this day, I met when I was five because they were, you know, this girl is the daughter of my mother's best friend. And so seeing them know each other from church, have children the same age, we were all in this one small town in East Texas, and eventually everybody has moved away from this small town. Some are in Dallas. Some are in Arkansas. Uh, my mom's out in Abilene. We have some down in Houston. But that these women have continued to be a source of emotional support and strength for each other for, goodness, 35, 40 years at this point. And that, 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 and so to me, my first kind of thought of female friendship is the example that I've seen from my mom and her friends. And that even for some of these women, um, I'll just go ahead and say Evelyn Freeman, my mother's best friend in the whole world is now an incredibly close friend of my own. Like I'll call my mother's best friend and just talk to her for hours because she's like my okay. second mom. Wow. So. That's so cool. You know, I, and in fact, I all, I frequently say that I have three mothers. I have my actual mother. I have Mrs. Freeman, who is my mother's best friend. And then I have who I like to call Mama Chandler, who is my best friend's mother. <laughs> and so to me, these female friendships are obviously not just peers around the same age, but one of the things that was really interesting to me that I noticed once I got out of college and I grew a little older is that these can really be span generations, right? Because when you're younger, the only people you're friends with are like your age. And it maybe, maybe, you know, a kid from a different class. So you're, you know, maybe you're a junior and you're friends with like one or two seniors, or maybe you're friends with like one or two sophomores. Right. But like, you're not friends with people six years older than you when you're mm -hmm. 14. Yeah. But when I become an adult, I can be friends with people in my Sunday school class or my parents' peers for people who are 40 years older than I am. And to me, that's, that's a really great part of female friendship because I can see how femininity and this life change happens across generations. And so I'm much more prepared for it because, you know, I've seen and heard about hot flashes plenty. And when it eventually gets here, I'm like, oh, yeah, I heard about this, right? In the same way that when you're younger, maybe you hear things about pregnancy and that, like, so you, you kind of, if you have someone who's just a little bit older than you, you can kind of have these little hints at all of the life changes that can come forward when you're a woman, right? Um, getting married, having kids, you know, working, either being a stay-at-home mom or, like, trying to juggle that. All that kind of stuff are things that I can see and be prepared for because I have these women of different ages who are being influential on me. Yeah, that's so great. That's some built-in discipleship, too. That's really neat. Um, okay, well, we're here to discuss Kayleen Schaefer's book, Text Me When You Get Home. Uh, it was published by Penguin Random House in 2018. Um, I first read this book last year and was absolutely charmed by it. I just thought it was delightful. Um, it's a real celebration and validation of female friendship. 
Um, and before we get into a few specific topics in the book, I just wanted to get your kind of initial reactions. Um, Sarah, since you were just talking, like, what did you think when you were reading the book? Did it resonate with you? Did you did you disagree with it? Or, you know, what were your kind of overall reactions to it? So I, I really agreed with almost all of it. Um, readers, one of the things that the author does a lot is she'll take a kind of a type of female friendship and then she references – different pop cultural either movies or TV shows that she feels really exhibit this. And so she'll talk about the ladies on Sex and the City, or she'll talk about Designing Women, or she'll talk about Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld. And so it was kind of funny and nice for me because since I have actually consumed almost all of the media that she had talked about, it really made it very easy for me to understand the point she was trying to make. Yeah, that's a really good point. And especially that text me when you get home, I have said that to at least one friend in particular when I was single and living in Waco. Uh, we lived in the same apartment complex, and so frequently I would leave the bar. She was a little bit more of a, a partier than I was, and so I would leave the bar, like, just a little bit earlier than she would kind of thing. And so she would tell me that every single time, hey, text me when you get home. Or even if I'm walking across the parking lot, she would say, hey, text me when you get back to your house. Mm-hmm. So especially that title really, really resonated with me. Yes, same, yeah. Because when you're, you know, I I was single for, you know, until age 33. And so I, I had definitely had that period of like, oh, we're going to get dressed up. We're going to go out. We're going to go to bars. We're going to, like, do all that kind of stuff. And so that idea of, like, hey, you need to kind of have your girls with you and make sure that everybody gets home. Like, that's, that, that's a very real thing that I've experienced that, you know, maybe others haven't. And so it's, even the title really resonated with me because I was like, I've said that and had that told to me countless times yes and ever since I read the book I notice now how many times I say it because I do we say it all the time like the 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 girl squad that I was talking about earlier like when we would go out with for a, a you know even like a coffee night or bible study whatever when everybody got home they would just text the home emoji to the group chat like everybody would just text when they got home and if somebody didn't text and everybody's like hey we're so-and-so like waiting until they they texted to make sure because i mean and several of us have you know husbands at this point or we live with you know, several of them live with you know other people or mom but it's still just checking in making sure that everybody's safe everybody's taken care of yeah for sure christine about what about you I really enjoyed this book. Um, I found it charming, just as you had said. And one of the nice things about it is that she is not at all really very preachy. It's just sort of, here's my experience, uh, my the importance of friendship in my own life and how I had not taken it seriously at the beginning of her life. Or, you know, um, she changed her views about it. And I thought that was really interesting. And I, in fact, sort of inconceivable to me. I thought I've never... I just couldn't even imagine not having um, the same view of the importance of women friends. So that was very interesting to me to hear that. And Sarah, like you were saying, I liked all the pop cultural references, the media that she talked about, and I understood all the examples. And I hadn't thought about the film Beaches in forever. And she she talked about how formative that was in um, helping women to just feel that it's okay to really love their friends. And that sounds ridiculous, but it's something that is something we need to talk about. Uh, love and its diminishment in an age of sexual idolatry, right? Um, I would agree. That's something that I really want to talk about that she doesn't address in this book because it would change the whole tone of the thing, of course. Um, and it's not an issue that she felt it was important to address, but it's an issue that I think it's important for us to address. How making 
an idol out of sex has diminished our friendships. Well, and one of the things that I think that ends up happening is we can diminish female friendships because the female friendship is something that I do for myself. Whereas the right. relationships that I have with others are can be very sacrificial in terms of right. like a relationship with a spouse, caring for a parent, caring for your child. You know, all of these relationships, I guess not necessarily your relationship with your parents, are always necessarily entered into right out of uh, because, you know, a romantic relationship, you have a desire to have children. But there's a huge sacrificial element that always goes along with these uh, mm-hmm. because that, that's just how that's the nature of that relationship. But most most of the time, relationships with friends are almost 100 percent selfish, right? And this is like I'm like I love my friends. We see each other. We do things for each other. But it is me getting emotionally something out of this, right? In a way that I'm I'm not going to, you know, that sickness and health thing is really something I only have to do for my spouse, right? <laughs> right, right. You don't um, have the same Because my other friends commitment. also have spouses who they've made some of those pledges to. And so, you know, when they get sick and have the flu, I'm not necessarily the person going over there taking care of them. Um, and the book actually talks about that a little bit, about how uh, some female friendships are so close, right, that they essentially do have that component to it. And when I was single and I had single friends, there was that component to it. But it's it's still very different to me because again that that friendship is still it's it's something that I do for myself whereas a lot of other relationships have a sacrificial element to it and I think that's why sometimes we diminish female friendships because you know if we think about male friendships a lot of times men men make relationships a lot of times by doing an activity together right like they're your friends from you know you play basketball or like something like that and I also think that one of the things that I find interesting about men, and maybe you two have realized this, men will not claim somebody as their friend if they met this person after they got out of college. <laughs> so men can have friends from <laughs> elementary school. They will have friends from high school. They will have friends from college. If, if they're in the military, they can have an army buddy, right? But it doesn't matter how well a man knows somebody and how much they spend, t- how much time they spend with them as adults. If they didn't know that person by the time they were 22, they do not designate that individual as a friend. He's a coworker. Uh, he's a guy I know from the gym. I'm like, that's you, so funny. I've never thought about but, that. Before. But like, really, they will not call these people friends. Like, oh well, he's a guy I know from the game store. It's like, y'all text every single day. Can't you call this person? Like, no. I mean, he's not like my friend. He's just this guy that I know. Like That's so interesting. Like, I feel like that there's a whole other conversation to be had in that about, yeah. like, the levels of intimacy that men feel like they are allowed to have with yeah. other men, like, versus, right. you know, the Whereas, intimacy like, that women, comes from children. Like, oh, this is my friend, and I met her two minutes ago. Right. Like, we're getting so much more willing to be social, right? This is the my other... good friend so-and-so, who I've known for a day. Yeah. And the other thing that you said was really interesting to me because about, like, the sacrificial friendships versus, like, the nourishing friendships, like, I feel like that's an interesting look at what we expect and ask out of different kinds of friendships, you know, relationships. Right. I think we do ask different things from, because it's not like, I mean, my best friend, like, drove me everywhere for a year and a half when we only had one car and my husband had to take it to work every day. Like, she was definitely sacrificing for me. But the the things that we ask of our friends um, and, and that we give of ourselves to our friends is different from the things we ask and give of a romantic relationship or a family yeah. relationship. So that's a very interesting point to make. I like that a lot. 
Um, and, and Christina, I want to come back to what you said in a minute about the uh, idolatry of, of sexual relationships because that fits in really well with what we're going to talk about in a minute um, about the female friendships um, mm-hmm. in our spiritual lives. Um, so, Sarah, since you're talking, keep going about um, – there's, there's a couple of topics that we're going to kind of cover. Um, there's a whole bunch that's in this little book. It's not a very long book, and it's a pretty short read, but it's got quite a lot in it. Um, but there's a couple of main things that I wanted to cover, um, and one of the big ones is this idea of um, what she calls the myth of the mean girl, um, the the kind of um, cultural assumption that girls are mean to each other. Um, can Regina you, George, a mean girl. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Can you unpack that for us a little bit, like go over kind of what she says, and then um, maybe we can discuss that for a minute? Yeah. So one of the things she talks about is the – the original book, which was, I believe, called Queen Bees and Wannabes, but also the seminal cultural work of the movie Mean Girls and the idea of Regina George, um, the plastics, that this is this is something that we kind of hold up as as a very realistic depiction of teen life sometimes, especially teen girl life. And that this isn't necessarily something that is actually true, that because the whole idea in Queen Bees and Wannabes is that there is. It is a nonfiction book uh, that comes out and is talking about um, a lot of the bullying that can sometimes go on um, and how, you know, women's girls can sometimes want to instill a pecking order in themselves. And that it's and it was kind of one of those things that when it came out, I did not recognize that in my high school. And part of it is because I was a nerd and went to the academic high school where you are much cooler if you are on the UIL math and science team than on the football team. Because that's just kind of how our weird high school works. So there might be others out there who are listening who would, who might be able to say, no, we had like the mean girl thing was really real at my high school. But it wasn't at mine because we were an academic magnet school. And it wasn't at my high school either that I saw and certainly not among my friends. So Yeah, I've, I have never I will say there were I was in a sorority. Um, go Kappa Delta forever. <laughs> and one of the things that. There, there, there kind of was a little bit in college uh, in my sorority because, because when you have like 120 women together, like there's going to be like some people who are a little cooler than the others, right? But nobody was ever like cruel or mean to me. You could just tell like, well, these are the slightly more popular girls in the sorority, and I'm there because I have really great academics, and I'm well, you know, that whole sisterhood thing like really like sticks with me. But you know. It, I it has been it has actually been pretty rare in my life to be like oh this is a mean girl, and I've encountered it. But to me, it was always more of a like this in particular person is really mean. And I know we can't say the b word on this show, but you know I've encountered a couple of those in my life. <laughs> so it's always been it's always been a this individual is that way, and never something I've ever associated with women in general, because I know too many women who aren't. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. I mean, that you're exactly right. Like, it's all about, like, I mean, people are sinful, right? Like, <laughs> we we have, you know, different sins that we may be predisposed to for whatever reason, but that doesn't mean that you get to generalize about literally half the population, you know, based on Exactly. That. And occasionally, sometimes I've, one of the things I've actually noticed more even than the, the idea of, like, the Regina George, who is, like, ruling over a little, like, fiefdom kind of thing, when I've, when if I when I have necessarily like a mean girl, if I might if I would ever call someone that, it's always generally the 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 individual, the woman, 
who says, well, I don't really have female friends because females are, women are just too dramatic. And I always want to be like, lady, women are not dramatic. You are the dramatic one. You start drama and you can't deal with the fallout that everybody else puts back on you. So that's why you hang out with men all the time is my probably fairly narrow view on that. But, you know, the, the idea that like, well, women just can't form friendships. Like, can you not like look around at the world? Like there, there are millions of women hundreds of millions of women forming very healthy friendships. And I think sometimes the idea of misogyny plays into this, in this idea that, like, if we're looking at this idea that the highest goal that a woman can have is to marry a rich, handsome husband and have, you know, and have, you know, blonde, blue-eyed little little babies, right, um, if that's kind of the initial air quotes American dream, then like, yeah, if that's the only thing that I'm supposed to be achieving in life, then I could see how how we're going to get really competitive over this. Because guess what? At your small high school, maybe there is only one guy who's probably going to go off to that one really good college. And you want to be the girl dating him, right? Because he, maybe his dad's, his dad's the doctor and he's going to go to law school. And like, you want, you want to attach yourself to that like shooting star, right? And so I can see if, if that's really the only thing we're focusing on for women in terms of like what your life goal is going to be. Well, of course women are going to be, going to become really competitive over this very scarce resource, right? Of like the one dude who we think was like, is going to take us out of this small town. But if we, if we broaden what we think, what we say our goals for women are, then a lot of that competition over this one scarce resource of blonde, blue-eyed football players who's going to be a doctor or an attorney or something like that, a lot of that, I think, lessens, and it allows women to have not only just a fuller life in general, but then you don't have to have that competition amongst each other. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. Yeah, and that book, Rosalind Wiseman's uh, Queen Bees and Wannabes, like, the whole point of that book was to talk about like relational aggression to show that just because girls weren't getting beat up on the playground doesn't mean they weren't struggling with interpersonal relationships or even bullying and stuff like that. Um, it was supposed to help caregivers and educators understand kind of the struggles of young women, but it almost immediately got turned against them and used as this kind of just stereotype and this gross generalization um, to criticize and demean girls and women, which is pretty much the exact opposite of what Weissman really wanted. And she talks about that she really regrets, you know, what, what people did with it. Well, and part of it especially is, you know, we, there can be a lot of competition. And bullying for women looks very different. One of the things that I have to talk about a lot of times in child welfare is, you know, the idea of a traditional bully is, like, this really, this, like, slightly oversized, fat Dudley Dursley type, right, who's just, like, giving people nookies and swirlies in the bathroom. But that's not, you know, aggression from women, occasionally, obviously, it can be physical aggression, but aggression amongst women tends to be, again, relationally based, right? And so maybe you're going to try to cut people off from their friends or, you know, or you're, there might be some sort of bullying or, like, Facebook stuff. But, like, in, or, in order for us to truly see women as the fullness of who we can possibly be, we have to be able to recognize that this can manifest in other ways. And I guess, and this is what it was trying to say, is that, it doesn't bullying and these difficulties can manifest in ways that it's like, well, you're not being beat up at school every day. So why does it matter if maybe people are teasing you on Facebook? You should just not look at that. Right. 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 And like, the other thing, no, no, this still be very important. Yeah. And the other thing is that, um, you know, uh, she mentions this in the book, but stopbullying.gov, the, the government website has um, studies published showing that actually 
um, boys are use relational aggression more than girls. And that, you know, yes, there are some boys beating up other boys, but there are, you know, just as many boys and more boys doing the same kind of, you know, online bullying, cyberbullying, you know, spreading rumors, ignoring, you know, all those things that are kind of under the umbrella of relational aggression. Like, boys are doing this, too. This is not an exclusively women thing. It is socially more acceptable for, for girls to to choose that as a bullying tactic than to choose beating up, right? Like, so that's why it kind of gets mm-hmm. pigeonholed as a female thing. But it is a human experience thing. Like, relational aggression is, is I mean, we see this in, like, Genesis, yeah. right? Like, we see this from the beginning of time. We see people being excluded or included or being shunned or being, you know, persecuted for different things, you know, Rachel and Leah, Hannah, like all of these, you know, and in, in some of those cases, it's the men doing it. It's not the women, you know. Um, right. And and so so I think it's just important to realize that, like, to that it is uh, not something that we can just turn around and say, oh, well, girls are so mean, you know, that that it is a humans are mean actually and and we need to address this yeah. as a hum, human problem and yes it's going to look different sometimes because socially we consider in western society women are not supposed to use their physicality you know as much they're not supposed to be physically aggressive but um but that doesn't mean that boys aren't mean too you know it's just right. we just we tend to, to yeah go for it just interrupt for a second and ask you guys what you think about her argument that the term mean girls has kind of created mean girls how true do you think that is? You I know, think that's pretty true. Okay. Because that's a really strong argument. It's saying that this these sort of cultural moments, uh, right, from these films and this actually had a big impact on the way that women saw each other. Like yeah, a huge and I, impact. And I don't think it's necessarily like, obviously we had, there were people who were unkind or, you know, the B word or whatever, right, beforehand. But I think part of it is, there, especially now with modern American culture, not that there's so much of people, people want to live into what they observe, right? And yeah. so if you have, so I could see like, if you have a hyper competitive mom who's like, oh yeah, my daughter is the Regina George. Like, I, like, mm-hmm. I, I totally can see some women taking pride in that. Like, my, my daughter doesn't take crap from people. My daughter stands up for herself. I'm like, but what's the way she's doing it? What manner is she doing this? And so that, again, not that there weren't uh, girls who had these issues, but with, in America, everybody wants their, like, little 15 minutes of fame. And so I, I very much can easily see the idea that once, once we can name something, it's easier to name it again, right? It's very – it's difficult to say if – you, if, if you don't have a term for something, maybe you're not seeing it as frequently. But if, if we have a name and a term for something, we want to see it everywhere. And then we might even apply it too easily right like yeah. oh this and so i think not even necessarily that it created it but that once we had a word for it it's like well now we want to name everything this right yeah i think that's exactly right like i very much push back against any personification of actions usually like i don't like it when people say well my child is a biter or my child is a is a runner or whatever like you are pers- you are making that child the personification of an action that is undesirable like what you mean to say is my child has a problem with biting or my child struggles mm-hmm. with running away when i call them or whatever but like making them the personification of that action labels them in a way that is very hard to overcome right and so i think that's the difference with you know turning mean actions or you know, relational aggression or whatever into a personification of quote unquote mean girls means that now it is not something that is an action we can deal with. It is a personality trait that, that you, that you are imbued with. And, and I see this so much because I hear my friends say, 
I heard several of my friends say, I don't want my daughters to, be, to grow up to be mean girls. I don't want them to be mean girls. Uh-huh. And, and at first I thought that was an odd thing to say because I was like, well, why don't you just teach them not to be mean girls? But, but once I read this book, I understood. It really opened up the thinking behind it that, that they're, they're seeing the mean girls as something that you're just born with. It's just a part of who you are. And, and if it's not a, a choice, if it's not an individual set of choices to say that unkind thing or to, to leave that person out, but it's just a personality, a personification, then – then that's a stereotype, and it makes it really hard to address, um, and it really overlooks the complexity of of women and their relationships. You know, men aren't categorized as mean or nice. We never hear like mean boys or nice boys. Like, we, like um, you know, yeah, right. that nice guys like being like, oh, he's a nice guy. It's generally actually considered to be like, oh, well, it's a little more fun to date that jerk, right? Right, right, um, yeah. But yeah, I just I think it is. Um, like turning it into a, a personhood really puts another um, level of kind of manifesting it, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it, and it takes away the individual responsibility of the parent and the and the child. It's like, in I I, I would agree with that a lot, um, Ilya. That it's taking away the ability to make any changes because it's kind of like, well, it's like saying I have blue eyes, I can't do anything about it. It's this inherent trait. Mm-hmm. And so this is just who I am, and we live in a society where frequently whoever you are is perfect because God doesn't make mistakes. And so if you're, you know, like, well, no, you you have a lot of ability to change this behavior. And I think one of the things that you can sometimes get with mean girls along with any childhood behavior is people – there are certain behaviors that children can have when they're very young that people think are cute. Mm-hmm. But by the time the parents encourage this, when the kid's doing it when they're 12, it's not – or 13, it's not very cute anymore. And so one of the things I would always tell people when they were, when I was in child welfare is, you know, the idea of, if it's not funny when your 12 year old is saying the F word, it's not funny when they do it when they're 10 and you mm-hmm. thought it was funny that this little kid's doing it. And it wasn't funny when they were six and it wasn't funny when they were three. And you're never going to prevent them from doing it when they're 13 if you don't try to put a stop to it when they're 10 and eight and six and three, right? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And the same goes for, you know, including and relational aggression and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Exactly. Christina, yeah. were you were you saying that you thought that, that this was not necessarily the case about the, the term mean girl and the relation to actually inventing mean girls? No. In fact, I'm interested in it because it, it's it, she wants to make that claim about some things. Why why can't we as a culture make it about other things? For instance, um I don't know. I'm just very interested in the problem of how do we as Christians deal with uh, LGBTQ issues. And so what's stirring around in my head is stuff like, well, haven't we also just degraded female friendships because of sexuality and said, well, she must be a lesbian because she loves women. Right. This is what I'm thinking about. So I'm like, where did that come from? And if that if. It's I have been called a, that before, by the way, because, like, I was just such good friends in high school with certain friends, and, like, we would hug on each other and kiss on each yes. other and all this stuff in high school, and I would have voices like, well, if y'all are, like, hugging and kissing on each other, y'all must be lesbians, and I was kind of like, right. I mean, we're not, but why do you think that that's an insult to begin with? Mm-hmm. Um, right. right, right. I was just that's thinking, just, I feel like some of that comes from homophobia. Like, if that's the worst insult you can imagine, then, yes, you would do, you know, everything you can to avoid any appearance of that. Like it goes back to the whole like hypermasculinity as a way to avoid, um, you know, any kind of uh, shades what, of, what, what? go ahead. No, I'm just saying the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I just, I feel like 
losing female friendships and the freedom to do what you're just talking about, Sarah, with your female friends has created a kind of a false binary, right? Between mm-hmm. like you, you are a lesbian or you're not. Like it's a, I don't know. I think it's a false binary. I think that's um, a good way to put it. I think so too, because one of the things that, that I find so important about my female friendships is, especially when I was single, is the physicality to it. Yes. Like, you know. Especially, especially when you're single. You need when you're single, touch. Yeah. And, you know, when I was in when I was in high school, going into college, I had a best friend in high school who I met on my very first day of eighth grade when we were both new to the school. Um, and I had a lot of friends. I, I'm a much better person because of all the friendships I've had. Because when I was younger, I will tell you all, my parents were really petrified that I was going to turn out to be Daria from Daria. Because <laughs> I love that show. I do, too. We need to have an episode of Daria. I love that because, like, she didn't take crap off of people. Like, she had her one friend, but she, like, saw through all this, like, stupid stuff that wasn't important. And I liked that about her. But my parents were like, no, you need to have friends. Friends are important, Um, which they are. But, you know, when you're – it's difficult to make friends when you're kind of a weirdo like I was. And I was a little taller, a little heavier. I will tell you, I had – I – as as might be appropriately said, I developed very early, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and as we, we know from a lot of studies that boys who develop really early are treated as leaders, mm-hmm. right? Right. But girls, the earlier a girl develops, the more likely she actually is to be excluded. Right. And so, like, I had to, like, I had to wear, I had to wear supportive garments when I was 10. Wow. And, you know, that gets you treated differently because all the other girls are still like wearing those like very cute little things. And like, you know, I'm 10 and I'm having people come by and like pop your bra strap. Like that's, you know, it just right. puts you in a kind of spot. And so as I got older, you know, I, there's a physicality that to me was really important in female friendship because I was a really, I grew up in a very conservative background. I wasn't going to have sex before marriage, all this kind of stuff. And so I didn't really date. Right. Right. And so the only, like, hugs and kisses are things that I got from my female friends. Exactly. Yep. And especially when I was single and, you know, living the high life in uh, Waco, Texas, <laughs> you know, I, my friends and I, we would cuddle, we would, like, kiss, we would hug, and because we needed it. Right. Because if right. you have no physical contact, one of my best friends in Waco was from Spain. All of her family was in Spain. And so we would just come over and we would have lots of, and we would just like cuddle and like right. hug right. on each other. And like, that's just kind of what we did. And even and right. I did that with my college roommates um, who are still my closest friends. And the running joke is that, you know, if someone came up to the house, like you'd have to stick your head in and be like, Hey, is everybody dressed? <laughs> because you know, right you have a certain level of comfort with your very close female friends. It's like, oh, yeah, of course we're just going to walk around and are all in our unmentionables because that's just kind of what you do when you're – because you just have such a high level of intimacy with them that is that can be physical but not in any sort of romantic way. Right. And I think, I think just is very different than what men can expect. And so if we look at that and, and we look at things through that traditional masculine lens, it's like, well, men would only do this if they were having a romantic relationship with each other. So this must be so for them as well. Right, right. And I just think that's an impoverishment, right? It's if, as soon as you 
say to women, culturally say to women that you can't have those kinds of friendships because that really shows that you're a lesbian or whatever. And then women don't want to don't want to identify that way. Then they either start to say, well, maybe I am right. And without necessarily being so, do you see what I'm saying? I, I just I don't mm-hmm. like the way the culture sort of forces you mm-hmm. uh, down. And, and what I loved about this book was that she seems to understand that that the losses are huge if we can't recover the full yeah. love inside of, of female friendships and call it love. Yeah, I, I, almost all of my close friends, when, when we were done calls, like, I love you. Because it's true. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, it's I would true. take a bullet for every single one of my friends. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we have, and that there are, that she quoted, um, in the book, she quoted uh, Mindy Kaling's character from The Mini Project which says that like when women say best friend we de- we don't actually mean an individual that's like a that's like a tier of friendship tier. Uh-huh. <laughs> which is exactly true because i would say that like i have best friends from multiple parts of my life and it's kind of and you know it's it can be difficult to kind of say like well like well who is the closest and i think that one of the things that as women, the way that that designation ends up happening is who is that maid of honor, right? And that's really yeah, a very like yeah. specific like who is the maid of honor? And I had two. I had a matron and a maid of honor who were both again my roommates from college who were still close and they were so bored guys during COVID that my husband and I were able to convince them to start playing D and D online with us. Oh my goodness, they that's were awesome. That <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and I think something you said a minute ago um, struck me when you were talking about specifically that, uh, oh, the family from Spain, that, that part of this is a very specifically American kind of puritanical yes. leftover. Um, that, like, yes, you know, yeah. when I've been to, yeah, like I've been, I've been to France, yeah, I've been to Turkey, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah, like most of the countries that I've been to outside of the U.S., that is not, um, is I mean, they'll walk hand in hand or arm in arm down the street. They don't care. They're hugging. Yeah. They're sitting together closely. And it's just a completely different level of intimacy than we usually allow in America. I think, like I said, partly left over just from our kind of pure botanical mores, you know. You know, I think you're exactly right on that, Aaliyah, that, you know, we, we have this idea that, like, physical affection is somehow inherently sinful and so that it needs to be completely mm-hmm. minimal. And so that even for, you know, heterosexual couples, you know, maybe you can hold hands in public. You know, you can, spouses can mm-hmm. hold hands. Right. Or if they're at church, you know, they can like, you know, husband can put arm around wife. But like, it's very, very limited in what some and of the then, things you feel like you're allowed to do. Um, even for the most intimate relationships, um, you know, parents can kiss their children. But even, you know, there are still places like, well, what are you doing kissing your wife in public? Don't you know you're in public? Right. And then we do, then we're surprised when we end up with the idol of sex. Mm-hmm. Like, why are we surprised? Yeah, yeah not to mention depression and, and isolation. And isolation yeah, and loneliness, exactly. Absolutely. Well, before we go on to the next thing, the other um, issue about the mean girls that I wanted to bring up was um, kind of like the influence of misogyny on that. Um, because when I was reading through it this time, yeah, I read it a year ago, and then I was reading th- through it um, to prepare for this. And one of the things that struck me was how much it reminded me of um, – Ibram Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, where he talks about realizing that he, as a black man, was actually racist against black people himself. Um, He talks about that he had internalized what had been taught by society so long 
um, that he had developed this idea that he had to be a good example, quote unquote, um, of what a, a black person could be. And and I feel like that same thing happens in in a different way, but but similarly with women. Um, that when femininity is devalued um, in our society, and there's so many messages that we hear about maleness, specifically white maleness, being the norm, being the, the ideal, um, that we, we start to internalize that. Um, and we really look down on femininity and really look down on ourselves. And we feel like we have to be what um, Schaefer calls in the book uh, the cool girl, you know, who rejects anything yeah. feminine, including other girls. Um, yeah, right. she rejects anything feminine except she's super hot and like they right. look really beautiful from feminine clothes. Right. But anything else that is feminine is, you know, yeah. Right. And and, and when we yeah, when we adopt that, all we're doing is encouraging these messages and continuing to devalue women, like like feeding into that message that yes, it is not it is not the best thing you can be to be a woman or to be girly or to be traditionally feminine, you know, whatever that. And I put that in quotations because obviously anything a woman does is feminine by definition, but you know so what I mean. So one of the like, things that, that actually reminds me of a little bit is traditional feminine things that's like, well, of course, any guy wants a woman who can, like, make these, like, beautiful homemade meals. Like, so that's a part of femininity that you want, you, you, you still want. But, like, if you go to, like, a well-known dating tactic is, like, you don't want to order anything like any kind of really super girly fruity drink at the bar mm-hmm. because that's like a super girly drink and so maybe you you definitely want to be seen drinking like a whiskey neat yes or just like a beer straight out of a bottle because that means you're like cooler and you're not drinking and um, you're not drinking a cosmopolitan which are delicious or <laughs> my actual favorite girly drink which is a um, a cherry vodka sour which is essentially like an alcoholic cherry lemonade like, you don't want to have, like, some fruity girly drink. You want, like, you need to have some sort of, like, brown liquor so that a guy's like, oh, like, she's, like, a cool, like, there are the, all these little, like, external things you want to, like, put up. And so that's just, like, that was kind of, like, a well-known dating where, like, hey, you want to make sure you're drinking, like, a beer or, like, something that seems approachable, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's so yeah. funny to me because because it's, like, this whole section, I love sports. I got football, you know, baseball, and uh women will later tell me that they didn't think that that was real because they thought it was just something that I would put on because it's like a cool girl. Mm-hmm. And it's just the same kind of notion of that if we denigrate women for just being themselves, right, <laughs> too, it creates all kinds of problems just because we just think that we have to be something for men, right? And that's where misogyny plays into it as yeah. well. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's move on to the next section. I was talking about earlier that um, this book is a celebration of female friendship. And so, um, Christina, could you just kind of cover, like, what the book says about why female friendships are so important? Yeah, I mean, one of the ways that you could put it is just to say that if um, the only relationships that you have in your life are with men, that there's a whole area of your life that, that men are not going to understand, right? I mean, women have issues from being women that only other women can understand and having that intimacy is a different kind of intimacy. And so that's one of the reasons why it's so important. Another one is just, and I love this about the book, the importance of having a person that that, that you are my Uh person can be a man or a woman and doesn't have to be somebody you're married to. Uh, at all or having any kind of sexual relationship with but just the one that you want to tell when something good happens to you or something bad happens to you that you need that other person and so it's I think just a lot more likely that your person is is a woman 
I mean, for women. I don't know about for men, right? Because they just, that again, like you said, it's a totally different conversation. But I, I think for most women, their person is actually a woman. I, I, I mean, I would feel like it would have to be. And, you know, and we talk about why are female friendships important. I think in a, in a world where masculinity can, is so frequently the norm, right? Men don't have to, men don't have to work, what, like, men are, men don't get pregnant. And so right. I actually, I meant to tell you all this earlier and I meant to put it on Facebook, but I'm just going to say it now. I am pregnant actually currently. Oh, wow, congratulations. congratulations. And now it's on the CFP. Yay. Yeah, this is actually the most public announcement. I, honestly, guys, I keep meaning to put it on Facebook, but I keep, like, being too <laughs> tired to do, like, the cute photo shoot. Yeah. Yeah. And so probably what's going to happen is, like, the baby's going to be four days old. I'm going to be like, hey, here's a picture of my baby. It's probably what, how that's going to end up happening. <laughs> yeah. But baby's due March 2nd. Um, her name is going to be Elizabeth Page. We're very excited for her. Oh. And... Because my husband is Anglican, and he was like, the best Anglican name you could give a woman is Elizabeth, because he loves Queen Elizabeth. That's, That's really amazing. Um, but, you know, I think all of say very unique female experiences, right? Pregnancy, you know, right. basically anything about your time of the month sometimes that, like, you know, I, I try, if I was in pain or something, I was trying to explain to my husband what it felt like. I was like, well, you know, imagine if there's just like, felt like there was something crawling around inside of you. And he's like, I, he has no frame of reference for that. As no. much as he would want, he has no frame of reference. But I all, most of my friends, you know, half of them have had kids already. And mm-hmm. so when I call on and say, hey, this, like, they get that mm-hmm. because like they've been through it. And societally, too, like the experience of a woman in society is different than a man. And there's it's very hard for a man to understand and relate to that. Like the group of my my group chat that I have of like my politics friends, it's all women because we understand politics in a different way than the men that I know because of our experiences in the world and and dealing with society. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And. You know, when I was in Waco, I talked about this actually on probably, uh, I think the very first podcast I was ever on, we had a, a group that we called, um, that our acronym was P for P and it was prayers for partners. And so we had about eight, 10 women who were all single. And so we, we knew each other through this non-denominational Christian group we were members of. And so we met every month to talk about what was it like to be single, like how to prepare for marriage and just kind of like, pray for each other like what are ways that in dating or whatnot that we that we can just be supportive and we did this for probably about three years I actually was part of the group a little longer because some of the others once they started dating they actually didn't start coming to the group but because my spouse or my future spouse lived out of town like I still got to hang out with my friends essentially Monday through Thursday and so the 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 experience that a lot of women have of like, well, now I'm dating someone significant, so I'm going to have to like drop a couple of people. I didn't really have to do that as much because I still had all the time during the week to see them. Yeah. But those female friendships now when we go back that, you know, there are eight or nine of us, you know, basically of the eight or nine that we're going very regularly, six of us are either married or engaged. And so that, you know, these things can take time, but, those kind of female friendships of we need to be there to support each other because, you know, singleness especially can feel really lonely. Mm-hmm. Yes. And mm-hmm. having someone there who is the person, who is your person who, you know, you're moving. And so, you know, I'm an adult and so I can actually pay for movers, but you know, my friend Leah is showing up with my, with my, she knows my Sonic drink, right? And so she shows up with my Sonic drink at my house that mid afternoon to be like, 
hey, I figured you could take a break and like, we're going to visit, right? And so yeah. a lot of that is, it's just incredibly fundamental because, and I think friendships, you know, friendships don't have to always fulfill the entirety of your life. And so you have friends that are your friends for this and your friends for that. Um, and it's, it's right. Really well, they also yeah. teach you that remind you that if you're looking to your spouse to have all of your needs met, that you're going to have a failed marriage. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the importance of friendship is is also for your relationships with men. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. I yeah. could not be married to my husband if I didn't have my writing group right now, because we have a gif that we send back and forth, which just is a woman shouting husband, you know, because it's like sometimes you just have to send that to your friends because your husband's driving you nuts, you know, and that you don't even have to tell them what it's about. They know that, you know, it's something that husbands do, right? That's um, so funny. Exactly. You need that. And it's not gossip. It's just, it's support. Right. It's support for somebody who understands. And our marriages would not be good without these friendships. I agree. And that I think also, and I don't know if this has been y'all's experience with y'all spouses, but a lot of times... I think most of the time the husband ends up taking on more of the, the wife's friends, right? Because women tend, to be, women tend to be the more social individuals. And so if I'm just going to pick people we're going to hang out with, well, why don't we go hang out with my friends? And so now it, it's been kind of a pleasure for me to see, because Andy and I have been married a little over two years and been together a little over four, that like the people who are my friends now, he'll be like, oh, we need to go see our friends, right? That like those relationships yeah. he's taking them on. And so that, you know, and it's, it's just so important to ha- to just have those outlets because, mm-hmm. you know, he, my husband is very into like doing like investing and all this kind of stuff. And he talks about this with me all the time. And I know it's so important to him and I could not care less. Like I love him. <laughs> and I know, like, I know this brings in important income for our family. I know all that stuff, but I just cannot like, I just doze every time because like, you know, percentage rates and dividends like I I like nope and so who does he talk to about that he talks about he actually talks about it with my best friend's husband quite a lot because he does that too right mm-hmm. and so that yeah. female friendships can really just set set individuals up for a whole host of benefits in life I think because even now some of my friends who are newly getting married you know, they don't necessarily feel comfortable asking their moms certain questions about what happens once you get oh, married yeah. about certain things. Right. Because, you know, they don't want to ask their mom or their grandmother or maybe either sister-in-law. So, guess, okay, yeah, let me be very open about some of the things about my marriage that you can reasonably expect and that this is normal and that there will be <laughs> there will be right. practice that will need to be involved. And it will, you know, all these things that even I think a lot of times in Christian books, like, they don't, like, you don't want to admit certain things about early marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Certain That's things true. take practice and that there will be certain, that there will be, uh, there will be bodily fluids and all sorts of stuff. I don't want to, I don't want to get too, uh, too, but I mean, you'll know what I'm talking about, right? But yeah. Come on, Sarah. This is a that. family show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is actually a really good point. I'm glad that you brought this up about the marriage because that really transitions us to our, our last point, which is talking about like a biblical approach to friendship. Um, and, and the thing that I kept thinking about, you know, the book doesn't talk about it from a biblical standpoint, but what she talks about is, um, how much Americans put an emphasis on marriage as the one relationship that is supposed to be everything to you, that is supposed to fulfill all of your needs. It's supposed to, you know, everything. And so when I think about, you know, female friendships from a biblical perspective, um, I think about, um, 
that that churches can really make marriage an idol, and Christine, like you were saying, make you know, even sexuality an idol, both in society and in the church. Like, and, and it's not that marriages aren't important; obviously, yes. they are. But but female friendships, you know, if we if we cut ourselves off from any friendship other than our husband, we're cutting ourselves off from the body of Christ. You know that yeah. we are we are limiting our access to the full body and to the the gifts that are given to you know the community of of the Lord and. And and we're only developing relations with one person. Like, the church has a long tradition of women living together, you know, in community and serving the Lord and serving their neighbors in in monasteries and, and things. I mean, um, mm-hmm. monasteries and uh, uh, convents. Convent. Yeah, thank you. Um, and not to mention that from a spiritual's perspective, judging all women as catty or mean um, is really slandering the Imago Dei, right? It's a form of prejudice yes. and sexism, and it's no less sinful because a woman says it than it would be because a man says it, you know? So um, before yeah, we and wrap... And it just occurred to me... Go ahead, go uh, ahead. sorry, thinking about women friendships and um, call a midwife, you know, what a beautiful picture of oh, yeah. the centrality of women's friendships. Mm-hmm. Aaliyah, have you seen that show? I have not. Um, oh, you really should watch it. I it's have been really told that many times. <laughs> it's really remarkable. good. I will also say the, the books are also really excellent. I have no doubt. So that's and awesome. I, I think one way I think of, like, female friendship at, at a church, again, part of it is we don't get a lot we don't get a lot of biblical examples of that, right? Like, when we're kids, mm-hmm. like, you yes. hear all of these Bible stories that are all centered around male figures. And so Eve is bad, right? Jezebel is bad. Um, Leah and Rachel are just incredibly passive most of the time, is at least how they're portrayed. And you have Mary, who is just this abject level of, like, perfection, holiness, that if, that something is visited upon her. But again, she doesn't take action Right, a lot of times, and how this is portrayed. Yeah, because we leave out the Magnificat. Yeah, because, you know, everything related to Catholicism is bad, essentially, in most, uh, in how we, in how most, like, evangelical Protestants see things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, um, one of the things I find most funny is that, like, I was, my husband is Anglican, and his father is actually an Anglican priest, um, and so you may not have done that, but I, I have a, a very strong Anglican connection myself, Christina. And so when my, my Anglican husband first came to Baptist church with me and he's looking around and he's like, well, why don't y'all do this? And everything I'm having to explain to him is like, well, because Catholics do it this way, that's why we don't do it. That's that why way. you do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> everything is like an against. And so I can see that because you have these very powerful, like female saints and this like, tradition of Mary and like all this very these kind of very powerful like feminine figures in Catholicism well we don't really have any right in Protestantism as these like right. powerful mm-hmm. female figures that young girls can look up to so of course everything's going to end up being more male centric because well the Catholics do and it's got to be wrong it's kind of <laughs> right. you know, not necessarily how I was raised but that's how the faith is so much developed at least for Southern Baptists that that's just kind of what I absorbed. Yeah, for sure. sure. And and there's just a, a very heavy, like in most evangelical churches, there's a very heavy kind of um, patriarchal slant to the theology anyway. And uh, a very light touch on church history, period. Uh, I did not grow up learning any real church history um, uh, at all. And it wasn't until I was right. an adult that I started to learn about, you know, 
uh, Jean Del Rey and, and, and figures from, from church. I mean, even, even Joan of Arc, like you hear kind of the historical version, but not the religious version in the evangelical mm-hmm. circles and everything. So yeah, I think that's a good point that we don't see as much of that in, in the Bible, partly because it was mainly written by men and, and they were not privy to that part of life and, and partly because of the emphasis that the churches have put on it for sure. Well, and, if, and you look at some of the deuterocanical laws of like, oh, well, you've had, you've had your, you've had your period and so now you have to go be cleansed because this was, you know, like there's just so much yeah. of that that's, that's a part of it that, you know, if you're, you know, you're 13 and you're like, I'm going to read the Bible through and you get to that part and you're like, Oh, um, uh, and so there's just so much of it that, that can make you feel that your femininity is wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to talk about about a biblical approach to friendship before we move on to our passing on segment? No, I, although I, before we move on to the passing segment, there is one other thing I'd like to talk about. And um, that's at the end of the book where she talks about the Boston marriage thing, um, because nowadays mm-hmm. there's uh, with an analysis, literary analysis in the worlds that I work work in, um, the thing to do is to sort of go back into 19th century relationships and then sort of reconstruct them as homosexual mm-hmm. relationships. Yeah, right? every, and, everything, everything is homosexual. Yeah. yeah. And this and is, again, what I'm talking about. Right. Right. Like, that's a culture that cannot understand that a deep, deeply loving female committed friendship cannot be sexual. Right. That our culture just doesn't get that. This book gets that. Um, that mm-hmm. yes. there's not some hidden lesbianism, right? It's, it's like, no, this is my person and this is the person I want to live with. And, um, we, we used to joke about it calling an NSLPs, non-sexual life partners. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I think, I think that we as a church actually really need to have more space for accepting that fully, mm-hmm. embracing that fully. Um, because to say that, 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 that woman, and is actually a lesbian and she's like suppressed her uh, sexuality is really a terrible thing to, to tell them. not because it's wrong I'm not making any claim about that I'm just saying it's diminishing her it really is and I mean even I like I have fallen into this myself like once I had never really dated ever until yeah, me I met, and so once I finally met my my husband like he went on as he likes to that we, and essentially we kind of both went on, as we like to say, our PS I'm not gay tour of where we're like, hey, you gotta right. go meet all my family, like, you gotta <laughs> start coming to stuff, cause I need, cause I'm pretty sure people, like, I don't think people say this, but maybe, like, I need to make sure everyone knows, like, I am dating. Cause I'm well, like, I had the same yeah. thing happen to me, Sarah, and this is why I'm so passionate about this subject, right? I'm, I mean, this is why I keep bringing this back up, because it is a real problem in the, in the church. It's a problem in the larger culture that we just don't have room for difference of this sort, right? Like there are just genuinely some women who just really aren't interested in a relationship with a man either right now or maybe ever. But that doesn't mean that they have to have sex in their lives to be fulfilled, right? Um, well, but they might I think want this, to have their person. And I think that this dovetails into a larger discussion about uh, the, how the church relates to singleness, period. Um, oh, I think that, totally yeah, oh God, that, yeah. that we could spend another hour talking about how the church yeah. really fails, um, you know, single men and women both um, in different oh. ways. But but that, that singleness is not something that most churches are equipped to to deal with no. in, a, in a very like edifying, godly way. Like there there's a, a famous I think it's Babylon B um, article, the the 
you know, fake news article that says a woman becomes uh, married can now enter into full membership of the church. You know, the idea right. that, yeah. that you're just kind of yeah. biding your time. Well, married and is now uh, allowed to join the real church. Yes, or yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's well, just, it's that's, that's so, how it's treated. Well, and we have an episode about that from about three, probably about yes. four years ago or so. Yes. Yes. I was on I it. That was that. my very first episode. Um, I remember that. And I think part of it is also have like I have a very good friend who really does not have any desire to date. Has dated him a little bit, but just you know, just like eh, you know what, never mind. Right. And I think that you know the the way the world views marriage is this kind of, or at least the church views marriage is like. You know, we, we got to grow and rather than growing through, you know, appropriate evangelical ways and reaching out to people, we grow by breeding more babies. Yeah, that's very <laughs> right. true. That's very and true. so we got it like that's what we're going to encourage. And so it's easy to have children's ministry and all this kind of stuff. That's like we know how to do that. But if we talk it with if we approach singleness, then we have to talk about things that maybe we don't want to talk about, like celibacy right. and what do we consider celibacy right. and you know, well, celibacy is like sitting there, like appropriate celibacy in the church is sitting there and like maybe you hold hands with each other, right? Like, and so there becomes these difficult conversations that it's just easier to ignore to throw everything into VBS, young, you know, young married couples and like foster that because those are the people who are going to grow up and continue to work and be part of that church. Yes. Because here's the thing, because... Because, well, what do singles bring? Well, they bring money. They bring the uh, time to actually be able to work and do, provide services and, like, teach. Like, they, we provide a lot. You're yeah. so right. We need to move so on, right. guys. I'm sorry. We're running out of time. But you guys are so right, and we could have a whole other discussion about this for sure. Yeah, and I do recommend everybody go back to that other episode. Yeah. Um, so for our passing on segment, I thought we'd do something a little bit different this time. Um, like you were saying before, this book talks a lot about examples of friendship from pop culture. So I thought it'd be fun to share some of our favorite examples of girlfriends from fiction or history. Um, but just uh, some examples that you think of that um, are, you know, really great examples of, of female friendship. Um, and I'll start. I, she talks a lot in the book, and this is obviously – I almost felt guilty about saying this one because it's just kind of the easiest one. But Parks and Recreation, um, you know, Leslie and Anne – their friendship is pretty much the model for um, the the female friendship that that loves and supports each other and encourages each other and um, and really celebrates each other even as they're doing different things and have different you know ways that their life is going and everything. Um, and then the other one that I just love is Ocean's Eight um, because first of all it's just very empowering to see like a whole female cast working together uh, in a in a non specifically female. Uh, you know, setting, um, you know, it's not a shopping movie or something like that. It's, it's a movie about a heist, but it's all women. But the way that they interact and they're all very different and they have different personalities and and uh, just seeing them interact as just people, you know, not tr- there's no mean girl. There's no, you know, it's just them being normal people with full character personalities. And um, I just I really enjoyed that. Uh, Christina, what about you? Well, I had a different thing down until I realized, oh, you're talking about friendships inside of books. I was I was thinking of um, Rebecca Solvitz, Men Explain Things to Me, which is where we get the term mansplaining from, apparently. It came from that book. It's such a good book. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm giving two recommendations just related to the issue that we were talking about, about how if women are only see themselves in relationship to men uh, and the de- degradation of the female the perspective that comes from that it's all really in that book but anyway the book that i that answers your question is drinking a love story by carolyn knapp even though it's about her alcoholism it's really also about her friendship with another woman writer and that 
I can't remember her name, but she's also written a book uh, about this friendship as well. It's also very good. So I would recommend both of those books. Um, really delightful friendship that they had. Oh, that's cool. I haven't read that one. Sarah, what about you? So to me, the to me when I think of female friendships in uh, pop culture or literature, I always have to think of very first Anne of Anne Shirley, Anne of Green Gables, because one, it's a very for, it's a formative book I read as a child, um, and part of it is also as I've grown older and been an English major and read a lot, I was like, to me, it's the first book I can think of that depicts female friendship because even in a lot of things like most of Jane Austen. Um, Bronte, a lot of these these strong female characters are like they have relationships are primarily based with men and the people who they have significant relationships with are sisters or cousins or relatives, right? But what you have with Anne who I love because I always, I always say I'm the most like her out of any literary character, is she desperately wants friendship and she basically, she basically picks Diana Berry Diana Berry does not have much um, choice in the matter and so she has this very close relationship with Diana, but she also ha- is friends with, like, Ruby and Jane. And But there is also kind of a mean girl, right? Like, Josie Pye is kind of the mean girl of Avonlea. And so, to me, it, and she does eventually have a relationship with a boy, but she doesn't really care about that. She is much more interested in her relationship with her friends. And she has a very passionate relationship with uh, her best friend, who is her um uh, is her, her bosom friend, right? Like, that's the term she keeps wanting to say, like, her closest friend. And to me, that's always kind of how I wanted to live and have my friendships of this, like, they're all, she's very positive, um, and that she basically was like, you shall be my friend. And that's kind of how I pick my friends now. So, I mean, to me, Anne is just, yeah, she's the best. And this idea of, like, she, she is a good friend, right, in everything that she, in almost everything that she does. That's great. Yeah, she is amazing. That's so great. Well, thank you guys both for talking to us. Uh, It was a great conversation, and I I highly recommend this book to all the listeners. Um, Thank you for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic or a reading recommendation for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, you can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page or at the network's Twitter handle at CH Radio Network and check out the show notes from this and our other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at ChristianHumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Christian Philippic is our press liaison. For Christina and Sarah, I'm Alia Danner Grubbs. Tune in in two weeks when we'll discuss Squirrel Girl. Until then, in essentials unity, in non essentials liberty, and in all things love.